It's when bad things happen, that's when you know that you have offended the gods or the spirits. Then you have to somehow make sacrifices and atonements to appease the gods or the ancestors. Otherwise, bad fortune will continue to haunt and curse you. Animism. It's hard in Korea for people to come to Christ. One of the difficulties is because they're told you have to give up ancestor worship. It's very difficult. What is animism? Multiplied millions hold to some form of animism. Today, we'll examine what it means. This is Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerin. I'm Kevin Harris, your co-host, and we discuss crucial topics like this on this show, Evidence and Answers. I want to remind you as you're listening today, as Pat teaches before a live audience, that we've got resources available for you right now at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Pat has been traveling the world in Asia and in America, equipping young pastors to take the truth of Jesus Christ to the world. And today we get the benefit of hearing him before a live audience talking about this very important topic, animism. I think you're going to find it fascinating. Be sure that while you're listening, you check out our website at evidenceandanswers.org. You can download past shows, get Pat's books and articles all there at evidenceandanswers.org. Let's go now to Pat Zuckerin before a live audience on animism. The world of animism, animism, or also known as tribal religions or folk religion, animism. Comes from the word anima, means life or breath, life or breath. So animism is the religion that sees the physical world as interpreted by spiritual forces, both personal and impersonal, to the extent that objects carry spiritual significance and events have spiritual causes. Often, behind many of the religions lies animistic beliefs. Right? So animism, there are animistic beliefs or practices in many of the major religions, in Islam, in Hinduism, in Buddhism, and even in Christianity, there can be animistic beliefs in there. It is a constant battle in cultures where animism was very strong that animistic beliefs and practices can sneak in uh, to the practice of the church in a particular area. Now you find that in a lot of uh, Pentecostal movements, and in you know places where the people have come out of animism, you find often it carries on over into their Christian faith. We'll talk some about that as we go. The world of animism, there's two worlds basically, the physical world and the spiritual and unseen world. Now, the physical world is the earth, the animals, plants, nature, and mythical beings. That's the realm of the physical world. All right, the physical world, as we were saying, is about the earth, the animals, plants, nature, and mythical beings. 
That's the physical world that we see. Now, whatever happens in the physical world, there are spiritual forces or spirit beings behind what happens in this physical world. Then we have the unseen world. This is the unseen world, the spiritual forces that lie behind the physical world. First is mana, okay, or the life force. Like this is the word, the word that's used in Africa and Hawaii, mana. It's a life force. <clears throat> it's an impersonal life force that pervades throughout all of the world, okay? mana. And it is in certain objects and in certain people, mana is very powerful. For example, the witch doctor supposedly has very strong uh, amounts of mana. Or maybe a, a, a rock or a tree or a forest or a lake, there's a the strong presence of mana there. Then often, as we studied previously, there is the concept of a supreme god who is ruler over all. But unfortunately, in animism, he does not play a role. As we studied previously, the people, many believe that they have lost contact with this supreme God, the Heavenly Father. They've lost contact. And as a result, the lesser gods are more involved in daily life of the people. The lesser gods, or the spirits and the ghosts, the spirits of the ancestors especially, play a powerful role in the daily activity since they have lost communication with the Supreme God. And so it is the lesser gods, the spirits and the ghosts, and the spirits of the ancestors who are involved more in the daily activities of the people. And there are unseen forces always at work. Fate, magic, right, the evil eye, witchcraft that are constantly at work in the life of each person. Okay? And then you have the unseen worlds, heaven, hell, and purgatories. In animism, you must be very, very careful not to offend the lesser gods, the spirits, or the ghosts, or the ancestors, or these unseen forces. If you offend them, and you don't know when you have, except when bad things happen. It's when bad things happen, that's when you know that you have offended the gods or the spirits. Then you have to somehow make sacrifices and atonements to appease the gods or the ancestors. Otherwise, bad fortune will continue to haunt and curse you. And you must continue to sacrifice and appease the gods until you know the disaster comes to an end. Alright, so the camp floods. So maybe the gods of the of the river were upset, so we give them a sacrifice. But the flood doesn't go away. So okay, it wasn't that one, you go to the next god. Maybe it's the god of the clouds who made it rain, so we sacrifice to him. And if the flood still doesn't go away, well then maybe it's the god of the mountain. And so we have to make we try to figure out which god or spirit or power we have offended and we try to make a sacrifice to appease so their anger will turn away from us. And hopefully the flood goes away and then we're okay, so this is the god that we offended. Right? So you try to go back and figure out you know, which god was offended and then you have to appease that god.
Some of the key themes in animism, number one is corporate anthropocentrism. In other words, the clan. The clan is central in animism. If you are ejected from a clan, that's disaster. Okay? That's disaster, complete disaster. Because what happens? Well, when you die, okay, your spirits go to be with the spirit of the ancestors. And who cares for the memory and honors the ancestors, those who are living? If you are no longer part of a clan, who cares for you when you depart? There's no one. There's no one. You're forgotten. Okay? The clan is the most important thing in animistic cultures. That's why... As you know, Stephen was telling me, it's hard in Korea for people to come to Christ. One of the difficulties is because they're told you have to give up ancestor worship. And it's very difficult because, you know, if you are the oldest son, then you are placed in charge of caring for the ancestors of that next generation. And if you come to Christ, and you're not going to do that. Oh, imagine the anger and the wrath you face from not just your parents, but the entire clan. You know, that's one of the things in my family that was very difficult, coming to Christ, who will care for the spirit of the ancestors when we're gone. So the clan is all important. Then there is the spirit world. Everything that happens in this life is a result of spiritual forces that is going on around us. All right? So if your business does bad, well, you might have made the spirit of the ancestors angry. So they are not pleased with your business, and so they bring bad fortune to your business. So they will not protect you from evil spirits. And so that's why misfortune comes upon you. Or if you get sick, now, maybe you have offended one of the gods. You ate from the wrong tree and that you weren't supposed to. So you need to appease that somehow. So whatever happens in this world is the result of spiritual forces at work, good or bad. Holism. Every aspect of life is, they're all interconnected. The physical and the spiritual, we're all connected. What happens in one affects what happens in the others. The focus is on the present. Okay, the present. What is happening now? How can we improve our situation? Or how can we rescue ourselves from the disaster that is at hand? Okay, and how do we measure what is successful? Well, does it work now? <laughs> does it work now? If we're sick, we sacrifice to the gods. Does he get better right away or not? There's the emphasis on power and control. And whoever can control the gods or appease the gods or control the forces that surround, the spiritual forces that surround us, he has the power. And that is the key. So the shaman, the witch doctor, in Hawaii, he's called the Kahuna. He has the power. He's the most powerful person in the village, in the tribe, in the family. Because he has the ability to control the spiritual forces and bring good fortune on people or bring bad fortune on people. 
in in Hawaii, it was believed, and also in other cultures, the witch doctor. You know, at night, your soul wanders. That's why you have dreams, because your soul wanders. And in Hawaii, they believe that the kahuna, or the witch doctor, can capture your soul. Right? And in other cultures, the witch doctor can turn you into a zombie. And in others, um, it's the whole emphasis of power and control. Power over these forces and the ability to control these forces. Then there's the reliance on oral tradition. In animistic cultures, many of these rules and regulations are not written down. They're passed down orally from generation to generation to generation. So, for example, in Hawaii, even though it's a modern 21st century city, the animistic beliefs, even the traditions of the kahuna are not written down. You're not going to find a book on how to be a kahuna if that's your family line. It's traditions that are passed down orally. That's why some of these beliefs are hard to confirm. Or they're different in different areas. Even though it may be the same God. On different islands in the Pacific, the tradition may be a little bit different. You know, why? Well, it's all passed down orally. It's a reliance on oral tradition. Right? And there is transformation and transportation. Many of the spirits and the gods can take on different forms. The gods may possess a particular dog, or the spirit of the ancestors may be in a particular animal. You know, for example, you're walking in the city and suddenly a stray dog comes following you, just follows you home. Why is that? Well, some in animistic cultures believe that maybe the spirit of your uncle or something has you know, been placed upon the dog. You know, or maybe a brother who recently passed away is upon this dog. That's why it's following you all over the place. Right? Or in some cultures, the wolf or the fox. Right? Butterflies? Well, you know, in China, they uh, cremate people. right? And then they spread the ashes on the doorstep. And then the next morning they get up. And if... And they look for the footprint in the ashes. So if it's, you know, like a dog, then that means the person came back as a dog. Or a rat, he came back as a rat. Now if there's no footprint, then he made it into the spirit of the ancestors. Ah, interesting, interesting. In um, many c countries where it's beautiful, like the Philippines, animism is very strong. In like Texas, Texas is ugly. It's just flat desert. You know, people don't worship nature out there. But where it's beautiful, you'll find more animism. Especially places, you know, that, you know, like, like the Philippines. The weather is always changing. There's earthquakes. Natural forces like that are always at work. So, yeah, transformation and tra the gods can uh, take on different forms. Right? Animals as a bird, as an eagle, whatever, fish. In Hawaii, you know, the gods come in different forms. Like Lono, the god of the sea, he can come in the form of a shark. Some stories that um, people caught a shark, and when they brought him back to shore, it became, a, you know, they looked, and it was a man. 
And the man taught the villagers many things, you know, how to catch fish and how to make nets and all these things. And then one day, you know, he got very weak and he needed to return to the ocean. So they brought him back to the ocean and he became a shark and he went back into the ocean. So, uh, yeah, so in Hawaii, a lot of people are saying that's how they learned how to fish and all that. The ancient Hawaiians, that's how they learned because Lono came to visit them, you know, as a shark. All kinds of ways in which the gods come and visit uh, people. Fear and security, that's most important in animism. Okay? This is the ruling attitude in animism. Fear and security. You're always afraid that you've offended the gods somehow. You're always afraid. And you don't know, you don't know when you've offended them until disaster strikes. A disease comes or flooding or uh, your business falls apart. You know, if someone dies in a car accident, you don't know. So you're always living in fear and hoping that you have not offended the gods. And once disaster happens, then, um, you know, then you have to appease the gods somehow. So fear is, a, is, is the attitude. People live in fear of the gods. There's not a sense of intimacy or a close relationship. It's just constant fear that the spirit of the ancestors have been offended, the gods have been offended, whatever. I remember when uh, in Hawaii growing up, we went to a forest behind my house up in the mountains and we grabbed guava. Guava and, you know, my dad ate, ate some guava and we grabbed some guava and brought it home. And then um, that night my dad was like, I don't think we should have brought the guava home. And I was like, really? How come? He said, well, the spirits might be offended because, you know, that forest is where the night marchers are. So I was like, oh, no. well, let's go send it back. And then my dad was like, no, tomorrow morning. Tomorrow. Hey, you don't want to go <laughs> drive at night into the forest. And I said, no, let's go now. And he was like, no. So I was crying and everything. I thought I was going to die that night. So all night long, I didn't sleep and everything. And then the next day, we woke up. And before school, we drove back to the forest, to the tree, and we threw the guava back. And then we went back to um, went to school. So, man, but yeah, I was so scared. And uh, my dad, I could see he was kind of concerned too, you know. But that's, that's in animism, the fear. Uh, we were at a temple in China. And uh, the people told us there that uh, we need to put incense in or else the gods will be very, very upset, you know. And we were like, oh, no, we're Christians, that's okay. But they insisted. They said, you must, you must, or the gods will be very upset. And we were like, no, that's okay. And they said, you must, or the gods will be very upset at us, you know. And So we, we tried to explain, you know, uh, God and, and the power of Christ and, that uh, Christ has defeated all these lesser gods. There's no need for us or for you to fear, you know, and stuff. But anyway, we left, and they were very upset at us. They were very mad. They said, if misfortune comes on us, it's because of you, you know, things. Okay, so fear and security. All right, now, the gods in animism, there is basically a supreme or a high god in many 
this God cannot be approached. In some forms of animism, the high God is pantheistic. He's monistic or impersonal. In other words, the high God is this impersonal force made up of all things in the world. Okay, so it's an impersonal force. Others teach that he's monotheistic, that he's a personal God. Okay, but basically the high God is unreachable. He is unreachable. That something has been done so that we can no longer reach the high God. Therefore, there's the belief in lesser gods. These lesser gods have very human qualities. They can get angry. They can have... They can be upset and throw a tantrum like children. They can be offended. They can come in the form of humans and have relationships with men and women. And they can become jealous and angry and all kinds of things. So they have very, very human qualities. And they are finite and limited gods. They're not omnipresent. They're not all-powerful. Often, they're power is restricted to their particular territory. And often their presence is in nature. For example, among the Hawaiian gods, one of the most popular is Pele. She's the volcano goddess. And when a volcano erupts, uh, people say, you can see Pele in the volcano. And, stuff. and in the lava, you can see Pele. That's, that's what is believed. So that she exists her presence is literally in the volcano. You know, Lono dwells in the realm of the sea. Therefore, when a volcano erupts and it goes into the ocean and all the right smoke, uh, many used to believe that Pele and Lono, you know, are doing battle. And many hulas are written, are done in memory or or speaking of the battle between Lono and Pele, the fire goddess and the god of the ocean. Okay. So they're finite, uh, they're limited beings. Right? So animism, there are animistic beliefs or practices in many of the major religions, in Islam, in Hinduism, in Buddhism, and even in Christianity, there can be animistic beliefs in there. Fear and security, that's most important in animism. Okay? This is the ruling attitude in animism, fear and security. You're always afraid that you've offended the gods somehow. You're always afraid. You don't know when you've offended them until disaster strikes. That's in animism, the fear. The fear. So animism is the religion that sees the physical world as interpreted by spiritual forces, both personal and impersonal, to the extent that objects carry spiritual significance and events have spiritual causes. All right. Thank you, Pat. And thank you for being here with us today on Evidence and Answers. We hope that you see just how important the topic of animism is and how many people of the world are affected by this view. It is often virtually impossible to tell whether one is interacting with an animal as such or with a spirit of some kind. Windows into the other world. Introductions to the world of the spirit, to the other side. There are animistic beliefs or practices in many of the major religions, in Islam, 
in Hinduism, in Buddhism, and even in Christianity, there can be animistic beliefs in there. It is a constant battle in cultures where animism was very strong that animistic beliefs and practices can sneak in uh, to the practice of the church in a particular area. We think that not only the church but the world at large should hear about these issues in light of the truth of Christ. And you'll find more topics just like this at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. There you'll find interviews with leading scholars. Pat's teaching on these topics, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. You'll actually hear even some debates with atheists that uh, occurred not long ago. All of this and more at evidenceandanswers.org. If you think a show like this should be on the air, then support us. And you you do that uh, a couple of ways. First of all, by listening and, and praying for us. And by your financial gifts, should you be able. And also by purchasing the resources available at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat has been traveling the world. Lately, he was in Asia teaching young pastors to defend the faith in that uh, country where Christianity is growing so fast. But unfortunately, so are the cults of false teaching and naturalistic worldviews that are in opposition to the truth of Jesus Christ. Keep Pat speaking out on the air and live in person as you support him at evidenceandanswers.org. I'm Kevin Harris. I want to thank you very much for being a part of us. God bless, and we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers.